0: You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, Call to Care. This series explores three groups of people Jesus particularly calls us to care for. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Last week, uh, we started this uh, three-part series called The Call to Care, uh, that Jesus, he's a good shepherd. um, And because he's a good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep he cares and anyone who would come after him and follow him uh, takes up his call to care uh, the way that he cares and there are three groups of people that we're going to tackle in this series that uh, the Bible repeatedly presses on us to, to have, a, have a care for. Uh, one is one another. and We talked about that last week. Today is people not like me. We all say that people, you know, you, we all, regardless of who you are, there's someone that's not like you and um, and then the oppressed and marginalized, and we'll talk about that next week. Today we're going to talk about the call to care for people not like me, this idea of, diverse, this, this idea of diversity, whether that be race, socioeconomic, political, cultural, you know, age diversity, Cubs fans, Cardinal fans, you say potato, I say potato. Um, we're not just going to talk that we should do this, but we're going to talk about how this actually can happen? How can we create communities where, all different, where people of all different kinds of backgrounds, whether that be race or age or economic capacity or political leaning, how can we deeply care for one another in a harmonious, unified way? Um, when, uh, when Trump was elected president, uh, some of us were delirious and some were despairing. Some were elated, thought it was the best thing ever, and some were like, this is uh, Armageddon, this is the end of the world. This is, this is over. And so what we've learned in the past um, few months, if we, you didn't learn this already, is our temptation, one of our temptations of, as human beings, when it comes to personal happiness and human flourishing and community, uh, is that uh, we, 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 our temptation to believe that somehow politics is going to do that. There's a lot of hope that we put into that arena. But the best that politics can do for us in this area uh, is civil discourse. But even that seems impossible if you watch television or ever get on social media. The best and the brightest minds can't even get that right. So it must be absolutely insane to think that we can achieve a deeper level of, humi- of humility, of, of a deeper level of, of unity where we actually love each other. And if you think that is impossible, you would be absolutely right. It is impossible. Except it is possible in Christ. The biblical vision for humanity uh, is just that. That people from just a broad cross-section of society would come together and love each other in a deep way. God created the world where the lion and the lamb lay together. In Genesis 3, we read about that we um, thought somehow God was holding out on us and we would be better if we kind of went our own way. And so sin entered the world and fractured, put this chasm between us and God and put this chasm between us and everyone else with each other. And we read about the effect of that in Genesis 4 when we read the first human family, one brother kills another brother. And we've been going through cycles of hate ever since. Different characters, same story. But Christ has a plan to bring us all back together. Politics divide the world. Philosophies divide the world. Religions divide the world. Christ unites the world. Not by ignoring our differences, but by giving us an identity that transcends our differences. And that's what Paul's getting at. And so that's where we're at today in, in Colossians three eleven through 15. Our main text, Paul's writing to a church in Colossae, which is a very diverse city. I mean, I don't even know if we have a comparison necessarily, but it was very diverse uh, religions, circumcised and uncircumcised, very diverse culturally, the Jews as well as the Greeks, um, diverse races, the Jews, the Greeks, the barbarians, Scythians. Uh, they didn't mention this, but Samaritans were around too or around as well. I mean, there were just deep divides between these these cultures. Uh, 700 years of, of of racism and segregation. I mean, they would walk 20 miles out of the way to avoid each other. It was just deep, deep, deep uh, differences, deep diversity, diverse socioeconomically, business owners as well as slaves. It was It was a diverse city, but it was also a divided city. People did not want to hang out with one another. Jews wanted to stay separate from Greeks. Business owners didn't want to fellowship uh, with their workers. Nobody wanted to be around the barbarians. They were this unsophisticated group. They got their name barbarian just because everyone thought they were just saying bar, 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 bar. That's the way they talk. And so we got this name barbarian. Now, when you are oppressed upon group, it's always nice to have someone that's more despised than you are. And that was the Scythians. And so they were even a more despised group than they were. And so it was a Colossi was a diverse city and it was a very divided city. Kind of like St. Louis. Um, within three miles of this building here in South City, there are 70 different languages spoken. We have highbrow and lowbrow. There are people in Clayton, you know, drinking their tea with their pinky up and five course meals. And you've got kind of like the mac and cheese you know, miller Light crew down in South City, and you've got Republicans, and there's parts of the city where, you know, Republicans won't even, like, run, because it's just, it's just no one wants to be around each other. There's parts of the city where Democrats don't run. There's just, it's just divided, and so St. Louis is um, the sixth most segregated city in the United States, and that goes for all the, the communities Around us. Now, the good news is that was, a, so that was the landscape of Colossae when the gospel came rushing in. And it smashed into the moralism of the Jews, and it changed the narrative to now Jesus is my righteousness. And it smashed into the ideologies of the Greeks. And now the Greeks are saying, hey, wait a minute, Jesus is what's true. Uh, and, it, it, and, it, and it wasn't just for those who were interested in religion or ideas. It, it hit the business community, and now... Um, you know, business owners and 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 uh, shift workers—they were coming to Christ, and the unsophisticated barbarians and the, and the Scythians—and they were they were tracking. It wasn't just for the, the high and mighty. Now, all of a sudden, this new narrative was being written in Colossae. Individuals were being transformed, and then they showed up in a room like this for a church meeting. They're wait a minute—they're like, I used to not like you, and I don't like—I've never been in a room with all these different people. And they soon began to realize that outside of Christ they were enemies, but now in Christ they became brothers and sisters, and they began to connect at a deeper level than the color of their skin or their political ideology or where they went to work or their education or where they lived. Now they had a unity that was, trans, that was transcending all other forms of unity. The gospel doesn't just create transformed individuals, it, trans, it creates transformed uh, communities and the same gospel that was at work then can be and should be at work in our church what god wants to do through jubilee church, in any church for that matter but i don't lead other churches I lead this church what god wants to do through our church is that he wants to create a a demonstration to the world of what a community looks like that's totally surrendered to jesus we have oodles and we have thousands and thousands and thousands of years of what communities look like that aren't submitted to Jesus. And he wants to create a community to be a demonstration to the world what a community looks like. And he wants, it, he wants people from all races and backgrounds and ages. Because and the more diverse it is, the, the more beautiful it is. In fact, what it says in um, Ephesians 3.10, it says that through the manifold wisdom of God excuse me, the, the church, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be put on display. That the, that the multifaceted wisdom, the apex of God's wisdom, God's smartest idea is a church because he's going to pull together people who vehemently disagree and would normally hate each other. He's going to bring them together to love each other. And there's not a community out like that in the world. Now, why does this matter? It's an important question. It's a legit question. Why does this even matter? Well, number one, it matters to Jesus, he, again, he's gathering a, a family from all tribes and all, tongue, all tongues. American is great at producing exceptional uh, individuals. Um, great sportsmen like Adam Wainwright and LeBron James. Uh, great businessmen like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. Or Great philanthropists or doctors or Just great individuals. But let me ask you is society getting better? Is it getting healthier? How is, is social injustice going the right way or the wrong way? The modern era, and I realize not many of us in here come from the baby boomer, the the era, the era of modernity, but it told us, you know, World War II generation, that kind of stuff, told us to pursue happiness at all cost, pursue individual happiness at all cost, and. Gen- the, the the postmodern era, my generation and, and those afters, know that that didn't work. We don't know what will work, but we know that won't work. So we know we need to be more other-centric. That's why we'll recycle when it's a pain. We'll drive hybrid cars and they're more expensive. We'll take jobs that pay less if we feel like they're making a contribution to society. There is this strong desire in culture um, Uh, To to be this kind of society, but there isn't the power to be this kind of society. Enter the church of Jesus Christ, who has as its leader the suffering servant, who who reigns over all. And because he defeated Satan and sin on the cross, he kills that thing inside of me. He kills sin inside of me. He kills self-centeredness in me. That causes me not to see you. That causes me to prefer myself. That causes me to want to cut myself off from you. That causes me to, to trample on you to get myself further. It kills that thing inside of me. And by his grace, he, br- he brought me into this room and he brought you into this room. Even though you and I are indifferent, some for some reason we've decided to stick around. And it's by God's grace that that happens. How does it happen? Well, Paul's a very realistic man. He knows that it's not automatic. Um, I mean, sadly, you know, at least in America and other parts of the world that's make you sure in America, you, there's not a lot of examples of what this community looks like. The church feels just as divided um, as anything else. People still seem to have the same uh, attitudes and bents uh, inside the church as they do outside the church. And so it, it's not automatic. So Paul, or Paul is reminding us that we, there's some things that we have to do, that we have to remember if we're going to live out this community. The first thing he says, if you have your, your Bible to open, he says we must remember that Christ is all, that he's our center, that he's our priority, uh, not ourselves, not our political agenda, careers, philosophies, a life, hobby. It's Jesus. He's, he's it. He's, our, he's the one that we're, he's, he's the, the main thing about us. When I think about who I am, being a Christian is the number one thing. Paul says in Galatians 3, 28 to 29, very similar verse to this. Uh, this should show up on the screen for us. It says, "For as many of you were baptized into Christ, he's um, relating, bapti- he's, he's talking about like we become these new people, baptized, we've we've identifying with Christ, we have put on Christ, which is a key thing that we're saying here, that we take on this new identity. There is neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, you're all one. In Christ. So he's saying that, hey, there's a bunch of different people here. And how this all works isn't that we just blanh over our differences. I'm not saying that we're all different. We we can maintain our differences, but what keeps us together is that we, we have an identity that transcends our differences. That word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip or immerse. It was sometimes used to talk about how clothes would be dipped. Or immersed into dye, and they would take on a new color. They would take on a new, um, yeah, they take on a new color. And what Paul is saying is that when you when you be, when you are become a Christian, you, you are dipped and immersed in the color of Christ. Now, what this is not saying, just to be clear, this is not saying you know this you know that we're to be colorblind, like differences don't matter. No, they very much matter. When you read about what the, what the church is going to look like, it's you know, in heaven, it's just like different, different tribes and tongues, and God loves color, God loves that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that you're not defined by your race anymore. You're, Christ is your life. You're not defined by your political views anymore. Christ is your life. You're not defined by your economic capacity or your education or where you live. Christ is your life. You're not defined by your age. Christ is your life. You're not, you're not defined about anything else except Christ is now your primary identity. So you may still be, you still may keep you know, your political party. You may stay in that job. You may live in that same house and you will obviously stay the same race. But it's just not the main thing about you anymore. There's, you have an identity that transcends that. In this right here, being a community that says Christ is the number one thing about my life is the only possible way that you can have a community of, that would normally be vehemently disagree with one another but come together in love and harmony and unified. And when that happens, that's when the manifold wisdom of God puts on display as a witness to the world of what a community could look like. God is building a new humanity. Um, I was talking to a guy in this church, David Quad, last week. Uh, if you don't know David, he's a um, squeaky clean guy, mid-20s, uh, college educated, uh, Continue his education. Um, now his uh, he's from, he's an American, but his parents are from uh, the Middle East. And um, a few years back, he was roommate um, with uh, Manny Dominguez, which I th- thought I saw him earlier somewhere. Manny, where are you? Is he here? Oh, okay, not here. Okay. Tell him I st- I'm not talking about his back. Anyway, he's, uh, but they were roommates together. Now Manny, if you don't know Manny, Manny's uh, uh, pretty known in this community. He's told the story several times. He's he's older. He's, I don't know how he's older, and um, uh, he's Hispanic and uh, he's not squeaky clean. He has a prison record, um, experience in gangs, um, lots of drugs, not educated. But they are roommates. And one night, David was telling me this story about they were watching some show. Um, some you know docu- documentary on Netflix or something like that, and they were sitting on a couch and toward the and, and uh, there was a moment where they, he noticed that, that Manny was crying, and he was, they were both like crying together, watching this show, and he had this thought, "What am I doing here i couldn 't be more different than this guy. How in the world did we end up roommates on the same couch watching the same show together? Jesus brought them together. Christ brought them together. They have a unity that goes beyond their education, that be, goes beyond their race, that goes beyond um, their, 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 how they live their life, what they've done, what, they, what they've historically valued. They have an identity that's greater than that. And so they can come together and they can love each other and they can be brothers together together because they they have because the greatest thing about them isn 't their political party it isn't their it isn 't their race it isn't their education it isn't what they do for a living the greatest thing about them is Christ. God is building a new humanity, and he says so christ uh, is is all, but it's a, he also says Christ is in all, which means the value of every person so it's 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 under, when you see that Christ is in, in every brother and sister, it makes it really hard to put someone above another or below another. Because you can't improve upon Christ. If Christ is in you, we're, we get our identity and our value from him, the fact that he lives in us. So Christ is in you, and Christ is in you, and Christ is in you. So I don't understand, I don't understand what God has done in my life if I, if I somehow devalue someone else or I think somehow that person's better than the other. So they were saying Christ is all and Christ is in all. And then he talks about like so this is these are these are things that we have to remember, but then he then he tells us that we we it's not again, it's not automatic that we have to put on an our new self. And so we've been made new in Christ, but it's like Paul saying you're you're not acting like who you truly are. You've been made new, but you, you keep acting like that old person that you used to be. You've been made new, you've been given new clothes, but you keep putting on these old clothes of hate and self centeredness and all that. So you need to put on Christ likeness. And then he begins to explain what Christ likeness is. He says, You need to put on compassion. Compassion is the heartfelt concern for others that leads to action, which is a bin. this series is about, this call to care, this call not just to have sentimental feelings about other people, but to be but to be moved emotionally to where we give of ourselves for other people, like we lay down our lives, like we risk our lives for other people, that kind of care, and if you study the emotional life of Jesus, the, the number one emotion that he felt was compassion, this should be an easy one for us, because this is Jesus, this is what he did, if you, I mean, I'm not going to read them all, but just a few You know, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So he healed them and he taught them. Mark 14, he went ashore and he had a great cow and he had compassion on them. He healed their sick. He had pity on them and he healed their eyes. Um, He had compassion on them because he had nothing to eat. He had compassion on her and said, do not weep. We will only grow in compassion, though, if we understand the compassion that Jesus showed us if you think that you're like you you know like you're like a basically a good person and you've got it figured out and and everybody would be better off if they were just like you and and, and that's kind of, that's kind of your motif and you're and you don't understand what jesus did for you the compassion that he had for you that he saw you where you were and he went to you so th- we, we Christians are though when you believe the gospel it's you're you're like declaring spiritual bankruptcy you're saying i there's nothing in me spirit i mean i i have i'm a terrible leader of my life and i'm am full of sin and i need god to forgive me and i declare spiritual bankruptcy so there is no like well the, well i'm you know i'm better than them i'm better than no it's i wonder what their story's like I mean, they, they're really angry and mean. I wonder what happened to them. Like, your compassion, you're not, you're, you're putting that on. You're not quick to, quick to judge. We need to have compassion. And, and, you know, and just in the last, you know, a couple months, you know, I mean, you, you've seen, like, the lack of compassion from all different kinds of, of people. You just, you know, Disagreeing and, and throwing bombs at each other on TV, over social media, at the water cooler at work. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. no No compassion. You need to have compassion. You need to seek to understand. What is it like to be? I mean, and let me tell you something that, I've, that God's really helping me with over the past several years. I mean, I just. Um, you know, I never. So I'm white, I don't know if you know that, but I'm white. And um, but I've never like I've never woken up in the morning and looked in the mirror and said you're white. You're a white guy. Unless I have been out in the sun a while, but just but typically I don't like I don't say that. Now when I talk to my African American brothers and sisters, brothers, um they'll say, "Oh yeah, two or three times a day, there's something that communicates to me that I am black. I don't experience that. And that, that's probably true for most minorities. Um, there are pockets in St. Louis, but mostly it is a, uh, those who are white represent the majority. And for those of our wife don't kn- don't know what it's like, unless you go to a different country. I've been in different countries where I have been the minority, and it, and it, it feels a lot different <laughs> than when I'm the majority. I, I There's there's a level of compassion that I need to have as a white person to understand what minorities now, you, that's true for any person, but I'm just saying for me, and I'm just saying this broadly when it comes to race. Like, if I'm serious about this, if I'm serious about taking on Christ, I'm going to express compassion by, like, man, I wonder what their world is like. I wonder what they go through. I wonder what they experience. So I want to put that on. I hope you do, too. Put on compassion. Put on humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's simply thinking of yourself less. It's not basking in the brilliance of your glory and wonder and awesomeness, nor is it wallowing in your brokenness and weakness. It's just not thinking about yourself. It's just like you're so caught up in who Christ is, and it works itself horizontally in serving other people, that you go through your day, you don't even think about yourself. You know, you get home and you catch a glance at yourself in your mirror, like, oh yeah, I forgot about me, there I am. It's thinking of yourself, which motivates you to serve. You're not thinking about, like, well, how's this, how's this affecting me? And I wonder, you're, you're obsessed. Well, I wonder what they think of me. I wonder what's going on here. da 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 da, da. And just, it's, it's letting go of that. Humility. Humility. Put on compassion, compassion, humility, and meekness. Put on meekness or gentleness. Jesus, it said that Jesus was gentle of heart. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle. At a basic level. At a basic level, this means that we are careful. With our words, um, we don't vilify broad cross sections of society because we feel angry, because we are afraid, or we feel justified in doing so. We are gentle with our actions, but we are gentle with our. We don't throw bombs at other people. We're gentle. Flows out of compassion, humility, and patience all so kind of go to patience is the godly reaction to someone who acted differently than I expected or would have wanted someone at, you know what people are different than you they don't drive like you they're, they don't uh, speak like you they don't vote like you they don't raise your kids like you they don't manage your money like you they I mean they're just not as great as you are basically I know it'd be better if they were but they're just not and so when they don't act in a way that you think they should act, patient. God was patient with you. He gave you all kinds of space to make all kinds of mistakes. Still does. Put on patience. So we clothe ourselves with christ this. This will lead to certain actions, and I love this. Number one, he says, so bear with each other. I like how Paul, started, he's this very low bar. He's like, look, I don't even care if you like each other. Just bear with each other. Tolerate each other. Endure one another. This is like the command to love with training wheels. Like, you know, it's just, it's just bear with each other. Like, I, you know, like, just like bear with it. Like, just deal with it. So you've had a busy day at work, and you barely had enough time to get to community group. In fact, you debated whether or not you'd go, and then you show up, and he's talking and talking. And talking, and talking, and talking, and talking, and talking, and talking. About what? I don't know. So you you leave, and you like hit your head against your steering wheel. You look over your spouse, and you debate whether or not you're going to be sick next week. Or, or you bear with them. To put on Christ's likeness, to be this community. I mean, are we serious about this or not? To be this community that like, you know, that that embrace that of different that who are different who just come at life differently who are raised differently who are I mean just in every sense of the word you're gonna have to bear with each other you're gonna have to learn to bear with one another secondly you forgive notice the progression you know the vision of community you know you know just dream of like everyone getting along and da 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 and working together one community love. You know, everyone's high-fiving each other, super excited about it. And then, they, and then we meet each other. Step one, bear with one another. Step two, forgive them. So if you get around people, you're, you're going to learn very quickly that you'll need to bear with them. But if you really get to know them, you'll have to forgive them. The only reason why you have never forgiven me is because you don't know me very well. Just give me a chance. I'll give you something to forgive me for. Be patient if you don't, if you don't forgive that it's part of it it's like you we have to forgive, but you know what most of us don't even get through the bear with them stage. you know you don't like them, you sit somewhere else in class, you eat somewhere else at work, you find a new community group, you find a new church, you find a new marriage. we don't bear with each other I mean it's, it's just I don't care what side you're on, every side in this race. The guy would not be finished talking, and then someones not, I mean, they're not even thinking... Of, I mean, how are, we, how are we supposed to be connected? How are we supposed to... Walk? We, we, it may not happen out there, and I don't... At this point, I'm not sure that I'm, that's my concern. My concern, I am very concerned about what happens in this community. And if we're serious about this, if we want to put on Christ... Not put on our old clothes, but put on this new self, Christ... We're going to bear with each other. but and then we're going to forgive each other. Check this out. As Christ has forgiven you. How has Christ forgiven you? He has forgiven you completely. Not partially. Not for the things uh, that you deserved. He forgave you completely and totally of every sin. Past, present, and future. Which means his decision to forgive you had nothing to do with how you treated him. In fact, it says while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. While someone is harming you, you don't wait till they stop harming you to decide to forgive. It's radical, I know. So is this kind of community. How's it ever gonna work? We gotta forgive. We forgive unilaterally, everyone, every circumstance, every measure. Now, this doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean is that you Stay in a harmful situation. I mean, if you're in a physically, emotionally harmful situation, uh, there are exceptions to this. So, please hear my heart on this. Like, don't. I, I, you you may need to get out of that. Call the police. Get out of that. Um, but we need to forgive. And then it says it says, just as Christ. Has forgiven you. It says you must forgive. It doesn't. It adds that word must. You must do this. If you're going to put on who Christ is, and this is a high call. This is not like bear with each other is you know junior varsity. This is varsity. This is hard. Forgive someone. What does it mean to forgive someone? Forgiveness is a decision to release someone from the obligation. That resulted when they injured you. Somebody injured you. Somebody incurred a debt. They broke something. They, they took your money. They took your time. They took your purity. They took your dignity. They took your happiness. They took something from you. They owe you. That's for sure. Um, when Christ forgave you, he didn't sweep it under the rug. You owed and he paid. He paid with his life. He paid with his blood. Forgiveness is costly. And when you when someone injures you, you have the decision to make, will you make them pay? Or will you forgive them and you'll say, I'll absorb that cost. And it's really hard. That's why it doesn't happen all the time. It's a hard thing to do. But maybe today God is encouraging you to go there. Transformed individuals create transformed communities that forgive each other. Or you can keep your checklist. You could just keep your list of everything that people do wrong to you. Finally, says Paul, says, "Put on love that binds and holds everything together." So, like this garment of putting on Christ and compassion, and um, you know, gentleness and meekness and humility and patience, you're clothed with that. Then, just love just is like that thing that binds it all together and ties it up tight. This idea of being other centric. That's what love. Is. love is love is not just a sentimental feeling, but it's efficacious. It changes. It's action. It's 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 doing. It's love is a verb. It's not a noun. We put on love. We seek to be other centric. We seek to give away ourselves to other people. We we we, we seek to give ourselves to people who maybe don't even, don't deserve it. J- Jesus loved us when we, certainly when we didn't deserve it. What would this look like? What, if, what, what would it look like if we all did this? What would it look like if we were this community? Well, I do know this. I think the world is desperate for a community that looks like this. Um, the past few months it's become more apparent but it existed long before that this is brought to the surface Um, it needs it we all see that, everyone sees that where do we get the power to actually be it Christ has to be number one He's got to be the most important thing to us. He's got to be our greatest source of identity. We have to see the value in every human being that Christ is in them. We have to see Christ in each other. Actually, it says that he chose. He chose us. He chose us to be together. You may have Googled us to get here, but he chose you to be here. So if you ever ask the question, why is he here? Why is she here? Well, God chose them. That should change how you feel about them and think about them. Think, oh, wait a minute, I'm acting like, my, I want to put my new self on. I want to put on compassion, humility, patience, gentleness, meekness. I am going to bear with my brothers and sisters. And you know what? And if I have, to, I'm going to forgive them too. And it'll be great. Because it means I'll be becoming more and more like Jesus. And the manifold wisdom of God will just shoot out of this place. A witness to the world of what it looks like when a community is totally surrendered to God. Why don't you get out that communication card?